I'm so excited for this sermon. The, uh, the text is Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. This is the sermon text for the very first sermon I ever wrote in my life as a pastor. Well, I wasn't even a pastor yet. I was at the seminary even before Vicar year, and that was like my first year at the seminary, and I wrote a sermon on this sermon text. And so I, I went back to that sermon. I thought I should just, you know, give that one to you. And then I read it and thought, nah. So I wrote a new one. The basis for the sermon today is Matthew chapter 14, beginning at verse 22. These words are printed in your worship folders, they're projected. And then uh, during the sermon, you can follow along in the sermon notes. Those are inserted in your worship folder. If you're watching online, you can find those at holyword.net. Matthew 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. So I watched the movie Hacksaw Ridge this weekend. Uh, it's about a man named Desmond Doss, who, uh, who enlisted as a young man in the army in World War II because he felt a conviction, like many men did, that they wanted to fight for the freedom of their country. Uh, it shows an incredible resilience for a young man to have. It shows a young man with very solid and strong principles living by those principles despite persecution and pain and inconvenience. Desmond grew up in a family that was a fundamentalist Christian family, and so that was something that wired into his DNA, these strong beliefs. And he, and he had a strong belief that, that uh, opposed any kind of violence, and he refused to carry or use a gun in the war. So this is the story of Desmond Doss as a conscientious objector in the army in World War II. The amazing part of the story, the, the pinnacle of the story is this, that Desmond Doss became a medic in the army and in his unit in this, this battle of Okinawa, a key battle in World War, World War II. They were particularly positioned on, up on top of this ridge known as Hexaw Ridge, Desmond Doss saved, I'm not going to ruin it for you if you haven't seen the movie, but I'm just going to tell you the number. He personally saved, the number's between 10 and 100, okay? 
between 10 and 100 men on Hacksaw Ridge. And if you see the movie, it's very dramatic how he does that in the scene. Here's what hit me about, about Desmond Doss, and I see similarities in Peter in this account and in myself. And here are the similarities. If, if you think under the surface a little bit, I think it's very real that, and they portrayed this in the movie, that Desmond was not only acting out of faith. He held his principles so strongly, not only because of faith, but because of fear. He grew up with an alcoholic, abusive, violent father. There were beatings. There was a gun involved. And, and so they show these flashbacks to the movie, and, and that fear of becoming like his dad, acting like his dad, or of, of violent nature in general, it, right, erupted into him acting the way that he did. And so it wasn't only faith, but also fear. Even the fundamentalist nature of his religion and his belief system, fundamentalist in the sense of drilling into him the Ten Commandments, and the commandments say, thou shalt not kill. And so taking that very, very hyper-seriously, because we believe that the commandments say, thou shalt not murder, actually, right? And that there's justifiable killing, including war. We believe that as Christians. Uh, because of his fundamentalist belief, he feared getting that wrong. So you have this, this young man who's acting valiantly, but he's doing so with a mix of both faith, which is a virtue, and fear, which is not. And then we have Peter today. Lord, tell me to walk on the water. I'm on my way. Hey, faith. And, and the minute we start applauding Peter, then he's, he's, he's drowning because he's not believing in Jesus and in fear. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. And it's this mix of faith and fear. Are you ever like that? Man, I live on a roller coaster in my Christian life when it comes to circumstances swirling around me, attracting my focus and attention, and rattling my cage of Christianity and getting me to be afraid. There's sometimes in my Christian life I'm just, I have a clear sense of my identity. I am confident in all of God's promises. I, can't, I, I know who I am. I know my purpose here. I have a passion for ministry, for loving other people, for thinking outside of myself. I want to share the gospel. But it's not always like that. And I mean, there, there are other times when the exact opposite is true. And I'm irritable. And I complain about other people and I'm selfish and I don't want to help or love anyone? Today, as we look at Peter and consider men like Desmond Doss and even our own hearts, we're going to learn four things about being people of God who live in a real street-level way in this world with this mix of faith and fear. And of course, the goal is that we want, to, we want that faith to, to rise up to the surface and to guide us in our Christian life as much as possible. And it will as we listen to Jesus and look at his 
look at what he does. So there's, there's four lessons. Here's the first one, and I'm going to start, start that lesson by saying this. Um, even Jesus needed to address fear and doubt in his life. So when you have fear and doubt, okay, don't, don't be thinking, I'm the only one. Um, this just ruins everything. All those other strong Christians out there, see, so look around, all these strong people, none of them struggle with this. It's just me. I tell you what, not only does everyone else struggle with this and I struggle with this, Jesus did. He had to deal with doubts and fear. He was a human being. He had to deal with feeling overwhelmed. And so Jesus went off by himself. That's the first part of this text. Jesus went off by himself. He got rid of the crowds. This, this is the, that's the crowd where he fed over 5,000 people. We, we had our sermon on that last week. He had to get rid of that crowd. He even got rid of his disciples, and, and he went up to pray by himself. And so uh, quiet time with God uh, is what helps you deal with people and, and with yourself. Quiet time with God. All right, here's the verses, 22 and 23. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. So the disciples now are gone. While he dismissed the crowd. Now the crowd is gone. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. So here's the, here's the fear and doubt and confusion and overwhelming peace that Jesus is dealing with. He, he performed this great miracle. He fed over 5,000 people by multiplying the bread and the fish, right? And then afterwards, the people, man, this is, this is a deal. We got to hold on to this guy. This is the goose that lays the golden eggs. And they wanted to follow him because, well, their cupboards would always be full and their pockets would always be bulging. And that's what they wanted. And now Jesus had to say, is that what, I'm, is that what it's all about? Is that what I'm here for? Should I stop doing miracles of providing because that's all what people are going to think? And, right, these questions now swirling around. What's my mission? What's my, is this why I'm here? I know it's not ultimately why I'm here, but is this helpful? You know how you struggle sometimes when you stop at a stoplight or a, an off-ramp on I-35 and there's a homeless person there with their hand out? Do you give them something or not? Right? That's, that's an inner struggle. There's, a, there's some right, there's some wrong. There, so now Jesus is, I, what should I do? He has to get away from people, have some quiet time with his Father. And so this is an example of your me time, right? Me time for hobbies, for recreation, for sleep. Um, don't, don't come to me after lunch because I'm in me time mode. I'm taking my daily 20-minute nap. Um, I need it to function for the rest of the afternoon, that's who I am, right? We all need our me time, except understand this. For Christians and for Jesus too, me time isn't just about this silo of me. I don't, I don't do it just for me or with, with strength and blessing from just me. Uh, look at the words. Jesus went on a mountainside by himself to pray. So Jesus went there to connect with his Father, to pray. Father, what's up with people wanting me to be their bread king? How do I handle this? Does this mean that it's time? Are, are there other things you want me to do? Right? It was, it was me time with Jesus, quiet time with his Father. Your quiet time with God. Don't compromise that. 
It's not, it's not only good. You need that time with God. You have not only permission, but responsibility to divest yourself of everyone to have your time with God, including your closest loved ones in your family. Tell them to go away. Tell them to be quiet. Get up earlier. Stay up later. Find a locked door. Uh, make it happen so you have your quiet time with God and, and can handle these things as we struggle with fear and faith. All right? Now, what that does is makes you even better at everything else you want to do outside of your quiet time. Think of it this way. We have in the city of Pflugerville right now first responders who are out on the roadways, right? Police officers, firefighters, other emergency rescuers. They are out on the roadways, out and about, and beyond Pflugerville in Austin and in the state of Texas for sure, down where the hurricane hit. We have first responders. If they had not taken me time for personal training, for personal fitness, for personally understanding how the requirements of them fit with their particular level of skill and knowledge, they would not be as equipped as they are to handle the emergency. Get it? So that makes your quiet time with God so important. It equips you to do everything else and equip Jesus too. All right, that's lesson number one. Lesson number two, there, there is going to be calm and storm. There is. Despite how we are wired to wake up every day thinking it's going to be the perfect day to start every week thinking it's going to be the perfect week to marry our spouse thinking that he or she is going to be the perfect spouse to move to a new state or new city and think it's going to be the perfect state or city to join a church and think it's going to be the perfect church. Nope. There will always be calm and storm. Always. There will always be hurricanes. There will always be pets getting sick. There will always be babies born with a disease. There will always be less time for you to do everything that you need to do and you can't get it done. There will always be the words that you want to take back. There will always be the hair color or style that you got and you don't like it. There will always be the friend who lets you down. There will always be the church that's not good enough. There will always be. Why? Because it is that way. <laughs> we, we live in a world that has sin in it, that has failure in it, and we're all flawed. Even I'm flawed, you are, we're all flawed. Your closest loved ones are flawed. We're all always going to let each other down. And so we have to live life as realists with that expectation and not be such optimists that it blinds us to the reality of how things really are. And understand this then, when it comes to fear and faith, fear and faith are responses to being let down. Okay? Fear and faith are our response mechanism for when we are let down by circumstances, by weather, by other people, by relationships, by, by troubles and hardships, by inconveniences, by pain, by loss. 
So fear is a response. It doesn't come embedded in the circumstance. It's not automatic, but, it, but the circumstance triggers that in us when we ruminate on the circumstance, when we lose focus on Jesus, and, and we, we start to worry about the circumstance, and that makes us afraid. Versus we see the circumstance and we can apply what only faith can see, the x-ray of our faith applying the promises of Jesus and promises of God. So in verse 31, um, after, after Peter had you know, started sinking and Jesus rescued him, verse 31, Jesus says, You of little faith, why did you doubt? What was it that changed Peter's daring faith into drowning fear? Peter is the one, when the disciples saw Jesus through the storm and the white caps going over Jesus' head, and they see this figure out there, and they think it's a ghost, and they cry out in fear, right? Peter is the one who, in the middle of that fearful moment, Peter says to this figure out there, they don't know who it is, Lord, I, I think it's you. If it is, tell me to walk on the water. Is that a statement of fear or faith? Faith! And then he has to get out of the boat. Can you imagine that moment when you, you know, Jesus says, come on, that you want to walk in the water, let's go. Come on, Peter. And he, and he steps out of the boat and that very moment, I mean, did it feel squishy on his toes? What, how did it, was it like cement? Was it like gel? Was it jello? Was, did he go, yeah, I don't know, but I'd have to imagine that's a little, whoa, whoa. And in faith, Peter gets out of the boat. And great faith at that. How can he, what is this, seconds later? A, a minute later? How can he after that great, cataclysmic, hacksaw ridge moment of faith, then all of a sudden be overwhelmed with fear and start sinking? It's in the words. Did you catch it? It tells you the answer. In faith, Peter walked on the water and came toward, remember what it said? Walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Peter is acting in faith when he is focusing on Jesus. On the one who made him the promise that he could do something despite the circumstances around him. That he could do something that totally opposes what he's seeing with his naked eyes, but what he can believe, the x-ray, right? What he can believe with his heart. Jesus, you said so. And because you said so, because I'm focusing on you, I know it can happen. I know I can walk on water. Jesus, I'm looking at you, and I'm walking on water because I'm focused. My faith is focused. And then, remember what it says after that. Then, I quote, he saw the wind, and he was afraid. You can't see wind, folks. It, what it, you're right, it's, wind is moving air, and you can't see air, but you see the results of wind. That's what it, that's what it means. Right? You look outside, and you say, it's windy. You're not seeing the wind. You're seeing the results of the wind. So what is Peter seeing? He's seeing crashing waves higher than his head, He's hearing the howling. He's hearing the waves smack on the boat like he's never heard before, an experienced sailor. 
been through many a storm, fearful of his life. And where is his focus now? Is it on Jesus? Not anymore. It's on the storm. And when his focus is on the storm, he saw the wind, it said, and he was afraid. Remember the chair and the piece of paper? Right? In one second, Peter was seeing the chair, and then the next one, he was seeing the piece of paper. He changed instead of focusing on Jesus, focusing on the circumstances. And Jesus said, Oh, you of little faith. Circumstances draw us. Circumstances just scream out for us to put our focus on them. You know why? Because in our heart of hearts, we want to be Jesus. That's why. In my heart of hearts, when I struggle with my faith the most, I don't want Jesus to be Jesus. I don't want Jesus to be God. I don't want Jesus to be Lord over my life, and I don't want him to be the Savior from my sin and guilt and shame. He's not good enough. He's not doing it my way. I do not agree with his plan and his strategy and his objectives and his ideas. They're not as good as Darren's. And so, in my heart of hearts, I believe I need to be my own Savior. I need to be Lord over my own circumstances. I need to take the wheel. I need to be in control. And so, I do that. I say, I have the wheel now, and now I'm, I'm going to steer this ship through these circumstances that I cannot, literally cannot control. And you're listening to me right now saying, you are an idiot. That does not make any sense whatsoever, but you're not laughing because you do it too. And so, when we face circumstances that we can't control, thinking we can control them and trying mightily to control them, and we cannot, that leads to fear, anxiety, depression, guilt, shame. And we, and we still focus and fixate on those circumstances because in our sinful nature, we just think we can do a better job at it than Jesus can. And we don't, and we, and we don't learn our lesson, and we sink. Little faith. I tell you what, little faith isn't just believing too little in Jesus. It's believing too much in our ability to handle circumstances. And that's what creates little faith. Um, a friend of mine told me um, this past week that he went to Disney with his family. And uh, he was on this new ride. It used to be called Tower of Terror. Um, what's it called right now? Guardians of Galaxy Mission Breakout. Okay, they just changed it. It used to be called the Tower of Terror. So it's this super high, I don't know how many stories tall, lots of stories tall. And it's an accelerated drop ride. And, you know, so it drops you super fast and then shoots you back up and then drops you back down. And it's just terribly crazy and exhilarating and lots of screams. And you can watch, Google it and watch videos. You'll see people screaming their brains out on this. And so he's telling me he's in line for this ride. It's a long line. And he's, he's waiting in line for this ride with his family. And there was a certain uh, person in that family who, who then uh, was really scared to go on this ride. And really, as they got closer, you know, after waiting an hour, hour and a half, 
and you get super close. And there was a certain person in this family who, who, who got scared and tried to bail out and didn't want to go on the ride. And that person was the dad. <laughs> and, and as he's telling me the story, he said, but then as I, as I thought, he said, literally, I was ready to walk away, but then I, I looked at my first grade son, and he was all giddy and ready to go on the ride. And I said, well, if, if he can do it and he's not scared and he's with me, then I'll be okay. That's presence. That's the presence of another being who can handle things. And just, usually it's the dad, but in this case, it's kind of funny. It was mixed up. Uh, but that's presence. The presence of Jesus preaches more clearly than circumstances. Jesus is your Savior. Circumstances are not. So in these circumstances, Jesus is saying to Peter and to you and to me and the disciples, I'm I'm present. I'm here. I'm in the storm. I'm not just sitting on a throne in heaven. People, I'm, I'm here. We celebrate that as Lutherans in Holy Communion. Jesus, the real presence. I got you. I'm holding your hand through temptation. You are not alone. I am here. When you need me to carry you because you are so weak, I will carry you. I'm here. I am not going anywhere. You cannot sin so terribly that I run away scared and screaming or angry. I am here. I forgive you. My grace is upon you. My mercy is yours. You cannot go east or west or north or south or high or low. And I will not be there. I am with you always. Look at the words again in this gospel in verse 27, how Jesus says that and preaches that, communicating very clearly, better than circumstances communicate, that he's here. Right? Uh, he's, the disciples think he's a ghost. He's walking on the water. And he says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Where's the promise in there? There's words of command, and we tend to gravitate toward words of command, and we want those words to make us brave like Desmond Doss, but it's really the words of promise. It's really those solid principles of God, not of me, that make me strong and brave and a person of valor. Where's the promise in those words? Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. It's that middle statement. The, out, the first and last statements are commands, and that's fine. But Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't give you commands without giving you a promise. And here he's telling his disciples, I'm present. I'm here. I'm on the ride with you. I'm in the storm with you. Your, your sins don't scare me. I forgive you. I'm holding your hand. I'm carrying you. Don't be afraid. Look at me. Secondly, verse 29. Come. Right? Not only does Jesus say to you, hey, I'm here with you, but he says to you, and I want you by me. Not only, I'm not just here, but can you come a little closer? Come running like a little child. 
into your parents' arms like children do because they know their parents love, right? So uh, like parents don't just kind of hang around and be around the house, but they might say to the kids, hey, come here. Let's talk. How was your day? Come here. I have something for you. Come. Right? Jesus says to you, to Peter, to me, come. I want, I want you by me, and I want you even closer yet. Listen to that invitation and, and accept that and take that in faith. The presence and power of Jesus, um, I tell you what, in, in a really, in a neat way, it was present. I saw it in the movie in Hexar Ridge. There's a quote that, that Desmond Doss, there's something that he was saying as, as he was as he was saving these men, and in part of the movie, his unit had left. They had retreated. They were, they were just getting pummeled by the enemy, by the Japanese, enough so that they, they had to flee down the ridge, and Desmond stayed on the hill. Even as there was friendly fire, artillery shells bombing, and he, he felt very strong, he needed to stay there and do his duty as a medic and, and save people. And so in the movie, it was a powerful moment. He, he saves one, and then uh, he's ready to go out into this zone of battle and save another. And before every time, he says, Lord, help me save just one more. And he saves one more, and then, Lord, help me save just one more. And again, he said that and did that. I'm not going to tell you the number, but it's amazing. Between 10 and 100 times, Lord, help me. That's the presence of Jesus, of our God. Lord, I know you're here. I know you're in this. I know you're watching, not just from above. I know you are here. Help me. I know you have the power, Lord, to do something. And, And can you do something even through me, Lord? I can't do this without you. Lord, help me save just one more. So it's the power of Jesus that performs more consistently than circumstances. Jesus is Lord. The storm is not in control. Every wave crashing against that boat in the Sea of Galilee is a wave that makes its mark by the bidding of its creator and its designer and its overseer, our great God and his son Jesus Christ. Every hurricane that spins, spins its particular direction and its particular path under the watch of our great God and his mercy and his wisdom all the time. There is never a circumstance that is beyond the control of our Lord Jesus. None. Disease does not own you. When you look at yourself in the mirror and feel that you're ugly and you're not beautiful and you don't have what it takes, that does not own you. Your addiction does not own you. Jesus owns you. Jesus is Lord over all of that. And as such, he's Lord over you. You can say to anything, you're not my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. No, we saying that right now? We know him. He's our missionary friend here from our church and his daughter. And you know what he has said? As a, as a man who has been diagnosed with terminal cancer, fatal, you are going to die within three weeks or three months cancer. 
You know what he said to that cancer? You're not in charge. You do not tell me whether I can be a missionary or not. I'm going overseas. And, and there he is right now, today. What do you need to say that to? Because you believe in the presence and the power of Jesus, what do you need to say this to? You are not my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. Verses 29 and 30. Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And right after that, it says, immediately. Jesus reached out his hand and saved him immediately. Jesus is your Lord, not just when you're behaving and not just when you're walking on water and not just in those days when you are rocking it in your faith. Jesus is your Lord when you're sinking. And when you say, Lord, help me, I'm caught in this sin, I'm caught in this bad behavior, I'm caught in this worry, I'm, I'm, I, I can't, Lord, I'm sinking. He does not say, well, if you'd swim a little bit, and then, right, hands on his hips and wait. Lord, save me. Immediately. Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. There's no waiting. There's no bargaining. There's no, can you sh shape up a little bit? Can you just, Jesus said, can you just do a little bit of the work? Lord, save me. I don't, I, I, I don't have the faith that I should. I know. Immediately, Jesus reaches out his hand and pulls you to his side. That's grace. That's unconditional forgiveness. That's a merciful Savior who is mighty at the same time. Who wouldn't want to put their faith in him? Circumstances do not own you. Jesus does. I'm going to read you these verses from Romans chapter 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Circumstances change. When you observe circumstances in your life changing, believe this. Nothing is changing at the spiritual level. Jesus is present and he's powerful. He's your Lord and your Savior. So then this, final verses, 32 and 33. When they, Jesus and Peter, climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. There's the truth. Truly. The disciples are looking at the circumstances. They're in the middle of the storm. They see the power and presence of Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. And they say, this is what matters most. This is the unchanging truth. This will be true no matter how many waves, no matter how big they are, no matter how fearful we ever become, this is true. Truly, you, Jesus, are the Son of God, and they worshiped him. Worship Jesus by believing in his promises and by not believing in circumstances. And you'll walk on water too. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for instructing us by these words and, and by this miracle that you performed. You do miracles every day, mostly in our hearts. Help us to see by faith what you do in us, 
how you shape us, how you believe in us in your mercy and call us to you. Oh, Jesus, help us to come to you like Peter did and to have that brave, courageous faith, even willing to walk on water. And when we don't, and when we fail, Jesus, rescue us in your mercy immediately. And give us then also the faith to believe in your heart for us, in your love, and then to go and help save other people too. Amen.